So in Daniel chapter 8, we learned about Daniel's night visions going back to the time of Belshazzar, who actually was already dead, but in this final chapters of Daniel, Daniel has taken on a new direction. He's sharing with us his various visions and dreams that he's had over the years. The first one in chapter 8 under Belshazzar. And then he's confused, even though he was able to interpret the dreams of others and interpret the message to Belshazzar, meany, meany, tekelufarsen, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. When it came to his own visions, he needed help from an angelic being in order to fully understand the visions. The angel comes and explains it to him. And so we pick it up in verse 26. Let's pray. Father God, we ask your blessing upon this time in your word. Pray that you'd help us to cover as much as possible in this next half an hour. Lord, open our hearts and minds to receive from you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we pick it up in verse 26. The angel is confirming to Daniel that the, the vision is actually from God. The vision of the evenings and mornings which was told is true, the, an, the angel tells Daniel. Therefore, seal up the vision. Interesting. For it refers to many days in the future. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. So the angel confirms the origin, the divine origin of Daniel's vision, but he also confirms that the information pertains to events that will take place in the final days of human history. We talked about this. There was a short-term application about the coming ruler Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV, who would defile the temple by slaughtering a pig on the altar around 165 B.C. But as is so often the case in the Bible, particularly as it pertains to prophecy, oftentimes those prophecies have dual or even triple applications. The short-term application had to do with Antiochus, who was an offshoot of the divided Greek empire after Alexander died and his four generals took over four different sections of the empire. And then out of there came Antiochus, who was over Syria and Israel. But the long-term application, it says it refers to many days in the future. And so the angel tells him, therefore, seal up the vision. And Daniel's told the same thing in chapter 12, Daniel 12, 8 and 9. This is the final chapter of Daniel that we'll get to sometime in the future. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked my Lord. Here he's just calling the angel my Lord with a little L, just as an uh, act of respect. I asked my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed. When? Until the end of time. Or the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. Amen, brother. Oh yeah, all those in this, the New Age philosophies and the you know, universalism and we are the world and even dominion theology within the church. You know, we're going to lead the whole world to Christ. It's going to be a wonderful, glorious world. And then Jesus is going to come back. If we could do that, Jesus wouldn't need to come back. No, notice this. Many will be purified. How many of you have been purified today? 
we celebrated that in communion, didn't we? Washed in the blood of the Lamb. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand. So now you know why so many people are totally clueless about spiritual things, the things of God. The wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand. Gee, that's a little scary because some people that you may not think are wicked might be wicked because they don't understand. If you understand, you're not wicked because you've been born again by the Spirit of God. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. He's given you insight and understanding. You're not wicked anymore. And you will follow the right path. But you may claim to not be wicked. We talked about this so many times. God is pro-life. The devil is pro-death. And yet there are millions of people out there who claim to be Christians who support abortion. That doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. Daniel 12, 4. So at least twice here in 12, he's told to seal up these things till the end of time. 12, 4. You, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to what? Increase knowledge. We've talked about this so many times. We've gained more knowledge in the past 50 to 100 years and the entire course of human history combined. Do you know that? You've heard about artificial intelligence, right? You know, Silicon Valley technology has exploded to the point they're ready to start implanting people's brains with microchips to enhance them, to make them post-human, transhumanism, transcendence. We're in the time that the angel told Daniel about. So just as scientific, technological knowledge has exploded in our lifetime, so has biblical prophetic knowledge and understanding also exploded because that's what God intended. Seal these things up until the time of the end. Seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. What does that tell you? The angel is telling Daniel that at the end of time, in the last days, knowledge will explode not only at the secular level, but on the spiritual level as well. Things that we couldn't understand before. Things that you would read about in the Bible and they would sound too fantastic and too improbable. Only the, the most faithful of the faithful would embrace it and believe it or they would write it off as just symbolism. Now we know it's not symbolism. It's real. It's real and it's here. Right now. And I, Daniel, fainted, exhausted, was sick for days. Afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished or appalled by the vision, but no one understood it. Or one translation said, it was beyond understanding. Daniel was so alarmed by the horrible tribulation facing his people in the future. He became physically sick and was bedridden for a number of days. And I find this encouraging, folks. I don't know about you, that someone as godly and great as Daniel, one of the greatest 
men of God who ever walked this planet could get stressed out just like we do. Folks, it's how we deal with the stress that tells us how strong our walk with God really is. Because what happens? At first, he's exhausted, he fainted, he was exhausted, he was sick for days. But then what happened? Afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. He was down for a few days, but then he got back up and was once again busy doing what God had called him to do. Is that how you operate? Or do you just let it get you down, take you down, and make you stay down? Daniel didn't do that. He was pretty blown away at first. You don't ever have to feel guilty when you feel overwhelmed or anxious, but it's what you do with it. Pastor Dave talked about it. We bring everything to God in prayer, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. I would say if you never get the way Daniel got, you're probably not human. Even Daniel experienced this, but he, he did not let it keep him down. We all get down from time to time, but by God's grace, we do not stay there. 2 Corinthians 4, 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, Paul writes, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Remember that song we sing? I'm trading my sorrows based upon this scripture. 2 Corinthians 4, 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Don't ever forget that. God wants to renew you day by day if you allow Him to do so. If you seek Him out, Every day. We do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction. And even though we may feel like some of the afflictions that we endure are just almost unbearable, Paul is speaking in light of what Christ went through, in light of the glory that awaits us in God's eternal kingdom. In light of all that, whatever we go through here in life, Paul says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, how many of us here this morning can say that? Do we keep our eyes on the things which are not seen? We should be, right? Everything we see with our physical eyes, nothing is ever as it appears to be, this world is full of deception. Satan is the prince of this world. Everywhere we look, there are lies, falsehoods, deception, fake news. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I guess we can just dip our toe into the beginning of chapter 9. We won't get too far. And I won't take time to read through the whole passage. We'll just jump right into verse 1 of chapter 9. This Actually, this first section of chapter 9, the exciting part, when we get to the second half, it's Daniel's 70 weeks, which is, ties right in with the book of Revelation. But in the beginning, 
It starts with what is known as Daniel's prayer. And this happens in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. This happened in 538 B.C. We saw this already previously. When Belshazzar was killed, the the Medo-Persian Empire overtook Babylon and captured it and took over as the new rulers. 538 B.C., 67 years after Daniel had been taken from Judah into captivity. So that means there's only three years of captivity left. This is the same Darius we read about in chapter 6, the one who took over upon the death of Belshazzar, last king of Babylon. Remember, he was made the king by his father, Nabonidus. He was a vice regent with his father, Abonidus, who was hanging out over in Egypt. And he gave Darius the leadership role over the former Babylonian empire. At this time, Daniel's probably in his mid to late 80s. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Like I said, only three years to go at this point. So Daniel, being obviously a student of the scriptures, understood from his knowledge of Jeremiah chapter 25, specifically verses 11 and 12, that it was about time for the desolations of Jerusalem to be finished. Jeremiah 25, 11, This whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will come to pass, when 70 years are completed, that I will punish the king of Babylon, Belshazzar, and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, Babylon, for their iniquity says the Lord. Because remember, now Nebuchadnezzar became a true believer after he crawled around in the field for seven years, remember? But after him came other kings that were not believers, and by the time Belshazzar came along, they were totally reprobate once again. And so he says, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. The Medes and the Persians captured Babylon in 539 B.C., Daniel 530. But I don't know if you've asked yourself this question. I suspect we covered it earlier on in the book of Daniel. But let's remind ourselves, why were the Jews in Babylon in the first place? Idolatry. Ooh, does that sound like America today? Hello. Jeremiah 17, 17. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with the point of a diamond. Whew! It is engraved on the tablet of their heart, that sin, and on the horns of your altars, while their children remember their altars and their wooden images by the green trees on the high hills, the high places. That's where they would set up their altars to idols. My mountain in the field, and I will give, oh, my mountain in the field, I will give you as plunder your wealth, all your treasures, and your high places of sin within all your borders." And you, even yourself, shall let go of your heritage, which I gave you, and I will cause you to serve your enemies in the land which you do not know. This is speaking of the Babylonian captivity. For you have kindled a fire in my anger, which shall burn forever. Here's another another shocking thing about 
our recent election. And there were some who kind of predicted this possibility. Do you remember the incredible demonic reaction to the, the shooting down of Roe versus Wade? And the Democrats kept arguing that that would be a point in their favor come the election. And it proved to be exactly that. Shockingly, there were many people who voted for the Democrats because they want to keep abortion legal. And there were several states that had things on their ballots about making it completely illegal to have abortions in those states, and those states lost. It, it appeared that our population was swinging in the direction of pro-life, but again, because we had an astounding number of Gen Z, Gen X voters who are all very liberal, I'm generalizing here, but for the most part that's true, then things that we would have thought would have been a plus Pro-life, pro-biblical, traditional marriage, anti-transgenderism, all the things that we would have thought would be helpful proved to be just the opposite. As you go up the ladder and you look at the older voting blocks, the older groups voted in what we would consider to be the right direction, but the younger groups voted the other way. We've been talking for a long time now about how the younger generations are leaving the church in vast numbers, large numbers. Many no longer pursuing faith in God at all. And even as I shared recently, 56% of young adults who identify as Christians don't go to church. And even if they did go to church, there's a good chance they'd be getting the wrong message. I think we're going to stop there and we'll pick it up next week with the beginning of Daniel's prayer in verse 3, let's stand. I'm going to focus on the Lord, but first, let's bow our heads. And if you have a prayer request, please raise your hand. I'm going to lift you up in prayer this morning. You and those near and dear. The technological world, the scientific world, the secular world, but knowledge is increasing within the church, at least for those who have ears to hear. What a powerful message, God, you gave us in the beginning of the book of Revelation. And you, as you spoke to the seven churches of Asia Minor, over and over again, Jesus said, let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And Lord, we thank you that you've given us ears to hear. Lord, we know that there are many who don't have those ears to hear. We ask that you would somehow wake up your church, wake up the body of Christ. Lord, snatch those that are, that are drifting away, pull them back into the fold. You're the good shepherd. You said you would leave the 99 who are safe together in numbers and go after the one lost sheep. Lord, there's a lot of lost sheep out there today. We ask that you would reach out to them, bring them back into the fold before it's too late. Lord, that you'd help us to stand firm, to stand strong, to not give way to deception, to false doctrine, to false teaching. And Lord, we know that the best false doctrine and the best false teaching will be very difficult to recognize. It'll be extremely well done, extremely well presented, and it'll look a whole lot like the truth. It just won't be the truth. Lord, continue to give us discernment by your Holy Spirit, we ask in the precious name of Jesus. And Lord, as we read about in the book of Jude, Lord, help us to snatch some out of the fiery flames as they're drifting 
in the wrong direction, Lord. Help us to be willing to do whatever it takes, whether it's extreme love or whether it's the fear of what what lies ahead, Lord. Your word says some need fear mixed with mercy, mixed with love to be brought into the body of Christ, Lord. In these last days, we pray that you'd help us to reach as many as possible while there's still time. Lord, I want to lift up those who have health issues this morning. We pray for healing. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, whether it's a head cold, allergies, flu, or whether it's cancer, diabetes, lung disease, Lord, it's all the same to you. You're the creator. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're the great physician. We ask you to bring healing to those in this body that are struggling with various health issues. Lord, that we might be able to serve you better because we're healthier, stronger, more invigorated, more energized. But Lord, no matter what, we will serve you just like Job. No matter what, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. But we do humbly beseech you for healing. Lord, not only for physical health, but for mental and emotional issues. Lord, we know that sometimes those are more debilitating than the physical things. So we pray for mental and emotional health as well. For everyone here today, those that have raised their hands with that kind of a concern, that you would touch them now, Father. We pray for relationships that have been damaged or broken, that you'd heal them, mend them. Lord, we know the enemy is trying to tear apart marriages, friendships, anything he can do to divide us and conquer us. We ask that you'd help us to be peacemakers, Lord, to be the first to reach out and to seek reconciliation whenever possible. And we do pray for healing of those broken and damaged relationships in Jesus' name. And we also pray, Father, for financial help. Lord, we're, we're living in perilous times. The economy is getting worse and worse. It almost seems by design. But we are so thankful that you are our provider. We don't have to look to men, even though men may sign our paychecks. You are our provider. We trust you. We put our hope in you. And we ask you to take care of your people, Father, as you have promised to do. And we will give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, Lord, we ask you now to receive our final offering of praise this morning. Amen.